Well, as Pastor Colin's already told us, today we are celebrating Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of what has come as Easter week or Holy Week. And um, it's our privilege now just to look at this. But I did speak on this portion um, some time ago, um, another Palm Sunday, obviously. Um, but I'd like to look at this scripture slightly differently from um, the last time we looked at it, when we, we just walked through the story. I know Pastor Colin will be teaching tonight, bringing out other truths from this. So I'd like to just maybe bring a different slant to it, if I may. But let's, let's ground ourselves in scripture and before we go any further. So I'm in Luke chapter 19. A little later, we'll be in Revelation 19, but we're in Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethany and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, tell them the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went, found it just as, it, as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, his owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You tell them, he replied, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. Let's just pause for prayer if we may. Father, we thank you for your written word. You are called the word of God and we will look at that title a little later but we have the Logos, we have the eternal Word of God, and we have the written Word of God. And we pray that now both will come together in our hearts as we seek to praise you and give you thanks for Easter and all that you did for us. Amen. Amen. I'd like to, this morning, divide our devotions into two parts. Firstly, I'd like us to spend some moments looking at Jesus' coming into Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, which we have just read together. And then a little later, I'd like us to turn to Revelation 19, where we see Jesus returning again, this time not on a donkey, but riding on a white horse. In our first reading, we have an earthly story. It happened. There was a date in history when Jesus and the donkey rode into Jerusalem. But that is in the past, and that was what we would call literal. It actually happened. But when we come to Revelation 19, we find it's not an earthly scene, but it's a heavenly vision and speaks of the future and is figurative. The rule of thumb of um, interpreting the book of the Revelation, parts of Daniel, is that you take it as literal until it's obviously it isn't, then you realise it's figurative and you look for the meaning. So for example, we, in Revelation it talks about dragons and all sorts of things. Well, where it becomes obviously not correct in one sense, it moves from literal into figurative. 
because the dragon is identified as the devil. So we have to be aware of that as we look at scripture. So you go along, you believe, yep, this is right, this is right, until you think, well, no. Then we look for the figurative interpretation of what is happening. Some of the dreams Nebuchadnezzar had were figurative dreams of world events that would take place. He dreamt of a large tree. Well, there wasn't a large tree, and the interpretation comes of what that is. So that's just maybe help you in your Bible study. Well, very simply, we have this scene. We're now coming up to the last week of Jesus's life on earth. Not the last week of his life, but the last week of his life reading up to his arrest and his crucifixion and his resurrection. I mustn't steal other people's thunder a little bit later on. It says in verse 28, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was one of the bravest people I can think of. He knew what waited for him in Jerusalem, and yet he tells us there, uh, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Isaiah gives us a clue in Isaiah 50 and verse 7 as to the attitude of Jesus at this point. It says, Therefore I have set my face as a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. And so Isaiah reminds us when Jesus set off, when he got on that donkey, the clock was ticking and ticking loudly towards the end of his earthly ministry and his great sacrifice for us. And Isaiah tells us that in the heart and the mind of Jesus, he set himself as a flint, knowing what was gonna happen, but knowing that he would not be put to shame, that whatever man did to him during Easter week, God would raise him and glorify him, his ascension, and we'll have a little clue later on with his return. So no matter what lay ahead of him, knowing all that laid ahead of him, he set out for Jerusalem. Well, in verse 35, it says, they brought a colt to Jesus and put Jesus on him. Now you might say, well, what's the point of that donkey? Well, very simply, that was often a way that kings coming in peace would enter a city. So you knew if somebody was coming in peace, they'd be on a donkey. If they were gonna come and conquer you, they wouldn't be on a donkey, they'd probably be on a horse. And we'll look at the figurative nature of that later. Again, the Old Testament prophets help us to understand a little more of what that means. It says in Zechariah 9, verse nine, rejoice greatly, see your king coming to you. And then he uses three vital words, righteous, having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey. Your king, our righteous king, bringing salvation and gentle. And that marks out the coming of Christ in this occasion of Palm Sunday. How he came, what was he about? He'd come gentle, he didn't come with a sword. In fact, he rebuked one of the disciples for using a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. He came gentle, he was coming to bring salvation. He wept over Jerusalem because they would not Turn to him. He came with and, and gentle and, and having salvation with him, but more that he came in righteousness. Now that's vital because, because of he was righteous, because he had no sin, he could die on the cross for our sins. So Zechariah gives us more insight into the event. Forgive me, I'm not being rude. The donkey is interesting, but he's not vital to the story, other than it identifies him with Zechariah and the king coming to Jerusalem in that day. But the key words are king, righteous, salvation, and gentle. Later we will see a contrast when Christ 
returns. But that's how he came. And the reaction to the crowd, again, you know the story well, verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then it says in 41, he wept over Jerusalem. Now, this was heading up to his arrest, to his trial, and I was interested to know, it never registered with me, that Jesus had six trials. Now, I've never been put on in trial in a legal sense. I've been a witness. I was a witness once for the prosecution, um, but you don't want to know about that in case there's any relatives of the people I gave witness against are present. But, um, you know, but I've never actually been on trial in a court. Now, I imagine it must be very stressful, but Jesus had six trials. He had a trial, his first one was before Ananias, who was the ex-high priest, John 18. And then he was transported to Caiaphas, who was the ruling high priest, again in John 18. And then he was taken before the Sanhedrin, John 22, because the Sanhedrin would have the power to put him to death. And then they took him to Pilate because the Sanhedrin, although they could pass the death sentence, they didn't have the authority to carry it out. So he went from Ananias to Caiaphas to the Sanhedrin. Then he was before Pilate. Pilate passed him off to Herod because one, I think he wanted to share the guilt with Herod and also Jesus was from Galilee and he just wanted to wash his hands, as you know, and get rid of Jesus. And then, of course, he was brought back before Pilate and this was the last effort to save him when Jesus was brought out and the people cried, crucify him, crucify him. So six times he stood trial. Six times he stood there, innocent, without fault, righteous, gentle, bringing salvation. And yet they still cried, crucify. And he knew this was going to happen. And yet he still got on the donkey, knowing what was going to happen. Luke 23, verse 12 tells us this. On that day, Herod and Pilate became friends before they were enemies. How strange that these enemies were brought together by the death of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to add anything spiritual to this. I don't believe this was a spiritual event. I don't believe that any repentance took place. But they were united. They became friends in the death of Jesus Christ. What happened to Jesus was horrendous. On Good Friday, we will find ourselves reading those portions of what happened to him. This man who came in righteousness, bringing salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey, what did they do with him? They whipped him. They punched him. I think the AV calls it buffet. They punched him. They pulled his beard. They spat on him. And they made a crown of thorns. And he did all of that for you and for me. And he knew it was going to happen. So many, I think it's Isaiah speaks about his back becoming a ploughed field after his scourging. The, it is unbelievable the love that Jesus showed towards us when he went on that Easter week. And it started when he got on the donkey. 
It began when he submitted to the Father's will in this way. He didn't do these things to fulfill prophecy. He was going to do them anyway. The prophecy was just telling us what he was going to do rather than the other way around. But we find in Revelation 19 a a very different scene, which I'd like to turn to now. Having entered Jerusalem in, um, in peace and in gentleness, when we come to Revelation 19, we see a different scene being painted for us there. And forgive me, I'm just finding my portion of scripture. Thank you. And I'd like to read to you another occasion when Jesus rode. This time he's not riding on a donkey. He's riding on a white horse. Let me read to you. And I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, on his head are many crowns. He has the name written on them, which no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth came a sharp sword, which was to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, He treads the winepress with the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here we have Christ's second appearance. His first entrance, he entered Jerusalem many times, but he was not going to come the second time gentle. He will bring salvation with him he would not be gaining salvation for us. We're told, first of all, that this was a heavenly vision. Very simple. Here we have not the gentle saviour, but we have the warrior bridegroom coming into the scene. And John says, I saw heaven open, and there before me, first of all, a white horse. In the past, as you know, um, as I mentioned, that kings would enter on donkeys to show they came in peace. But if they rode horses, it was a signal that they were not coming in peace. And at the end of the age, we find a very different picture of Christ. We thank God for his entrance on Palm Sunday. Of course, without that and all he went through, you and I would not be saved. You and I would not know the forgiveness of sin. But we have to be true and understand that that wasn't just the end of it. There was a judgment that is to come. And it tells us very simply there, I saw a white horse and the rider who is called faithful and true. As if we needed any way to identify who the rider was on the horse. We're told of his name. Oh, he has several names before we finish this portion. He said, the rider is called faithful and true. And with justice, he judges and makes war. You see, In Hebrews 10, 23, it says, he who has promised is faithful. See, he's called faithful and true because he's faithful. We tend to think, oh, he's faithful to me, and he is. If we are his children, he's faithful to us. 
But more than being faithful, he's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his holiness. He's faithful to his Father's will. The faithfulness of, is not just towards us. It's not that warm feeling, oh, God's faithful to me. Lovely as that is, no, no. His strength is the faithful God, faithful to his word, faithful to his people, faithful to his Father's will in all that he does. And then it says, with justice, he judges and makes war. With justice, he judges. He's coming to judge the nations. Now, please, there isn't a court system in this world who at some point will have made a mistake. There's bound to be somewhere, somehow, a jury that got it wrong or a judge that got it wrong or a system that got it wrong. Uh, You know, please, because of the human nature of things, because of the law, etc., etc. But it says of Jesus when he comes again that he will be coming to judge in justice. In this country, if you feel a judgment has gone against you, your legal team, if you have a legal team, can go to the appeal court and say, hang on a minute, we think they've got that wrong. The appeal court look at the evidence and you might get a shorter sentence, you might get a longer one. It just depends. But there's no appeal court in heaven. Jesus isn't going to get it wrong. You won't be able, the nations won't be able to say to him, well, hang on a minute, that's unfair because he judges in justice. It's true. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And so he's called faithful and true. He will judge with justice and make war. For he, Hebrews, as I said, Hebrews 10.23, for he who promises faithful. And in Hebrews 10.35, we are not to throw away our confidence, which will be richly rewarded. For he who is coming will come and not delay. You say, Gordon, I've heard this for 50 years that Jesus is coming back. What do you say to that? I say this, he's 50 years nearer coming than he was when you first started. What else can I say? I was brought up in a church, I thank God for it, no criticism at all, where the second coming of Jesus was regularly preached. And we lived in an atmosphere of he could come any moment. Now, it's 50 years probably from when I first heard my first sermon on the second coming, and he still hasn't come. But does that mean he's delaying? It says in that scripture, he's coming and will not delay. Well, sorry, hang on. He decides when he comes. He has decided when he will come, so he knows he's not delaying. On my journey down here, there were some roadworks. I had to slow down for the roadworks. Um, maybe there were some extra traffic lights as I came into London. I had to pause for the roadworks. Oh, there's things that could delay me. But nothing will delay him. He will come when he decides. He will get on that horse when he decides, not when your latest book on prophecy tells you he's coming. And so we do not throw away our confidence which will be richly rewarded. Jesus says in 14.6 of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The righteousness of God is being revealed. All will see it one day, but now the just must live by faith in him who is faithful and true. What do I do between the day when Jesus entered on the donkey and Jesus returns on the horse? What do I do? 
I'll tell you what you do. You don't throw away your confidence and you live for every day of your life in the possibility that he could return today. There is no safety in anything else than that. Well, I must move on, must move on. Then it tells us his eyes are like blazing fire. That's important that we acknowledge that because that was part of the description of the resurrected, glorified Christ in Revelation 14. Like blazing fire, eyes like blazing fire. His eyes can see. You know, you think you're clever. You think you see everything. Well, let me tell you, he sees everything. And I'm glad about that. And I'm also frightened about that, that he sees everything. And then in verse 12, it tells us there that this one upon the horse, whose name was faithful and true, whose eyes were like blazing fire, says, on his head are many crowns. Many crowns. Now, I do not believe these are crowns that he won in battle. Now, you may do that, and you may have a commentary that does, and please, I've just come to the conclusion. These are not crowns that he won. These are crowns that are his. So if you look at the history of, the, of Britain and, you know, these days that can be controversial, I'm sure there are some medals that are, are, are or some awards that have been given to, to our royal family because of other things. But the Queen is our sovereign by right. Whether she's got a crown on her head doesn't really make any difference. She is still the sovereign. And this Jesus who we see now coming out Riding this horse has many crowns on him. And I don't think they were given to him by other people. I think these were crowns that were his by right. We live in a world where if you do well, you get a medal, you get a badge, you get a round of applause. You know, you might get some more salary if you do really well. But Jesus cannot be rewarded. Well, in fact, I, I correct myself. The only reward that Jesus has ever received is that we worship him, that he gave himself for us. We are the apple of his eye. We are the fruits of his life and of his salvation. And so he has on his head many crowns, not one in battle, but his sovereign right. Um, if you like, we are his medals, but the crowns were his by right. Again, I have to return to Easter week as I should on this day. It does seem that at his crucifixion, his head was marked out for particular, particular torture. And no other word for it. We find, of course, that his hands were nailed to the cross and his feet. His side was speared. But as I mentioned earlier, and I say the word beautiful face, not because... I have any reason to believe Jesus was, had film star looks. I have no idea. Isaiah tells us that there was nothing about him that we should desire him. He was very average in his appearance. Oh, but supernatural in his love. And they punched that face. They spat upon him. They pulled his beard. And then they got a crown of thorns together. And I think they thought they were being clever, those that did that. 
the Romans around. They made this crown of thorns and thought, right, you want to be a king, you know? And there was a lot of mockery and, uh, and cruel mockery. He had to carry his cross. And, and then they put this crown of thorns on him. And they gave him a reed, mocking him as, as if, you know, you say you're a king. Well, where's your kingship now? Oh, if only they knew. And his head had spit upon it. And his beard had been pulled. And he had been punished. Imagine how Jesus having a black eye. Just can't, you just can't imagine why they would do that to him. And then on went that crown of thorns. And then the blood began to roll down. But the Jesus of Revelation 19 is not the Jesus we read in the Gospels. For they will never punch him again. They will never pull his beard again. He comes not with a crown of thorns, but with many crowns. Why? Because he has fulfilled the Father's will. He is the faithful son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, the crowns were his. No more pain, no more sorrow. In that way. And then it tells us that he has a name. He has a name that no one knows but himself. In this portion, we have several names. We have faithful and true, and we'll look at some others. But he has a name that no one knows. Oh, no, I, you know, the preacher in me wants to find out some. But then if I could tell you, I know his name, then it wouldn't be a name that no one knows, would it? So I make no attempt to find out. No matter how you might scour the Old Testament on some of the prophets or whatever, you don't know, only he knows. And that sets him apart. That he comes with faithful and true. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the light of the world. All those fantastic titles that speak of who he is. But there's one only he knows. Oh, every bone in my body wants to give you some ideas of what it might be. But I've got no idea because I don't have the mental capacity or the spiritual acumen to step into that arena that might help me understand what that name is. I don't know. I hope you'll tell me when we meet in heaven. So if I preach this in heaven, I can go an extra 10 minutes. No, I won't be preaching in heaven. You'll be all right. But a name that no one knows. Who is this? Oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth. They put a plaque over his cross, King of the Jews. Oh, you think you're a king. You're a saviour. Come down. You saved others. Save yourself. All oh, that's finished with, my friend. May I say, never to be repeated. He's on a horse. His robes are dipped in blood. The armies of God are following him as he comes forward to bring judgment, injustice to the nations. Almost there. Then it tells us, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which he strikes down the nations. Judgment is coming. 
The sword is from his mouth. It is true. It is just. This is not delegated. Or there's an area in which the church will judge the angels. That's another story for another occasion. But not this. The nations he will deal with. These nations that have strutted this world history, insulting God, and there are some nations today where I'm just thinking to myself, I wonder how you will be fair when he comes. And out of his mouth comes the sword that will judge and with him. And he will rule them, it says, with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And then he just comes to the conclusion. And with this, I'm, I'm going to conclude. It says there, on his robe and on his thigh, is written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You may, pause, let me say, you may wonder this word judgment. You say, Gordon, it's, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with the thought of judgment. I like the idea of Jesus loving and forgiving. Let me tell you something. Judgment does not begin in the book of the Revelation Judgment was poured upon him. He was judged for our iniquities. The judgment of God came to Christ, not because he sinned, but because we did. I will not be judged for my sins, much as I deserve them. I have more sins than you. Let's get that one out of the way. Because I can't be judged. Sin can't be judged twice. It was judged in him on the cross. Therefore, it can't be judged in me, in my life. Let me read you some words. I neglected them in the first service. John 12, 48, the words of Jesus. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very word that I spoke will condemn, condemn him at the last day. A little verse tucked away. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. And out of his mouth came a sword in the last day. You say, God, I'm not comfortable with judgment. I'm sorry. God is comfortable with judgment because he judged our sins in his son. Therefore, other judgments are legitimate and true. Well, coming to this verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he had this name written. We have some other names. We have a name that no one knows. We have the faithful and true. Uh, uh, we have amazing titles, picture here. But we have another name. King of kings and Lord of lords. The first time he came, he came to die in humility Pardon me, I can't read my writing. He came to die in humiliation and became our saviour. At his second coming, he comes to judge in justice and to reign in righteousness in that way. In his first coming, they were waiting for a saviour. I'm not waiting for a saviour. I have a saviour. I'm waiting for a victor. I'm waiting for someone who has the name 
King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm waiting for someone who has crowns upon his head, who never again will be humiliated, who never again will have to die for the sins of the world because he has done that once and for all. When they crucified him, they put over his cross, as you know, and again, I don't, must not intrude on future ministry this week, the king of the Jews. And they went to Pilate and they complained to Pilate. They said, change that name. Change that name. Say, he said he is the king of the Jews. Well, Pilate, fair dues to him, did not succumb to their pressure the king of the Jews. When Jesus returns, he will return as king of the Jews, of course. They will be included in the work of Christ's redemption, of course. But he comes for the world. He comes for his church. He comes for all those people who have received him as their Lord and Saviour. He is not just a king of the Jews on a piece of wood. No. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There are no other kings. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm just about to conclude. I, I, if I've said that before, forgive me, I didn't mean it. A colleague said to me some time ago that... Um, that I was um, an old-fashioned preacher. He didn't use those words, but that's what he was hinting at. That he, he said, um, well, you know, you're not really, and, and he's proved it because he's not asked me to speak for a while. He said, um, modern preachers don't shout. Now, that might be right. Now, I've heard this gentleman speak, and he is a great preacher. But he said the modern way, we don't shout. That's, that's old-fashioned to shout. Now, as you can tell from the way I dress, I'm old-fashioned, okay? But I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to shout in a minute, and I don't care what he thinks. <laughs> I really don't. He was just talking, and there was nothing offensive in what he said. But I am going to raise my voice in a moment. I'm not going to squeal or scream but I am going to raise my voice because I'd like the last thing I say when I sit down to be this verse. And I hope, and I don't want to manipulate you, I hope at the end of it, you will respond in your heart, if nothing else, with an amen or a hallelujah. Because the one who rode in to death now rides again in victory. So for those who like old-fashioned preaching, here it comes. Let me tell you another story. I've got to end this now. I've committed myself to my last words, which you should never do. I remember years ago, I went to America. Um, I've been to America, I think, twice. And I, um, that, by the way, that isn't a hint. I don't need to go. I just, you know, I'm just saying I've only been twice. Um, and we were in a restaurant with a minister's fraternal in, I think it was in southern Illinois, you know. And um, there was this minister's gathering and it was a place, I remember it, where you could eat as much chicken as you want for like $5 or $10. Well, I had my money's worth. 
but I was a lot younger then. And I remember this guy from, I, I don't mean this to be offences, and if Jeff Lucas is listening, I hope he will forgive me, but he was what I would call from the mountains, a bit of a hillbilly. Now, I don't mean that to be rude, but he was a, a country guy, preacher. And he was telling the group about this healing that had taken place, how a lady in his church, and he would have had a modest church, this, how, how in his church this lady had been healed. And he jumped up in the restaurant, which was full, and he started doing this. He started stamping his foot and he's looking at the floor and saying, are you listening to this Jesus? Uh, sorry, are you listening to this devil? At the top of his voice. Now, being British, I thought, oh dear, we, we don't do that in England. But you know what? I've remembered it. We've just heard of a healing. And he jumps up and he says, blow the rest of them. In some, and I won't try and imitate his voice, but he was from the south. Hallelujah. And he stamps his foot and said, are you listening, devil? Sometimes, you know, we need to remind the devil of some things. And I'm going to not stamp my foot, but I'm going to say, devil, are you listening? And this is it. He is king of kings and lord of lords. I don't think I was loud enough. Are you listening, devil? He's king of kings and lord of lords. Thank you. Thank you.